Um, all right, my loves. So this week we're going to talk about the mm, how and why it might be interesting for us as practitioners and livers of life to want to move beyond the realm of simply accepting what is to then be in a more engaged version of integrity and virtue, right? So many times, and this will, we'll sip my coffee, <laughs> many times uh, in the wellness world, in the yoga industrial complex, yoga wellness industrial complex, there is a stuckness that happens that I have noticed and directly experienced at the level of accepting what is, right? And um, I talk about it a lot. It is something, I think it is one of the very, very initial steps of beginning to work with mindfulness is being able to be with what's here in the moment with wide-eyed curiosity and without judgment, right? Um, and that can get us a long way, right? I think into feeling, um, enabled in, into being present, right. And into being able to be with difficult and challenging emotions and feelings, and maybe even circumstances that arise in our lives, just starting with the truth, right. (laughs) Um, and being able to be uh, generous with ourselves when we're in truth, right? Because sometimes, I don't know about you all, but sometimes the truth isn't of what is, isn't something that necessarily feels great to me. Um, as a child, here's an example. Uh, I woke up every day to parents who weren't really available to me, right? And so if I was to create right? A meaning around that and a truth around that, like, oh, every day I'm going to wake up to parents who aren't available to be in the space of love with me. Then it would have been like a super painful situation. And so one of my protector parts that developed was forgetfulness, right? So each day, (laughs) which is kind of interesting because there is this like sweet mindfulness quality to it, sort of like put me maybe on the trajectory of it. Each day, I forgot what happened the day before and started anew, right? But as we move into adulthood, those of us who maybe developed that as a capacity, it doesn't necessarily work for us to be so forgetful, right? It can lead, at least in my case, it has led towards um, a cycle of abusive relationships because I just forget um, what happened the day before and start anew each day. Right? And that isn't being necessarily in the truth of what's actually alive in the relationship, what's alive in me. There's sort of a denial process that happens. So there's like a living example for you. So we start right with um, that mm, the engagement with the truth of like what's here, what's alive in our lives, what's alive in us in a really like honest and beautiful way. Because awakening only can happen when we begin with the truth. It was one of the big teachings of my last year of 2020, is that that spontaneous softening and awakening of the heart happens when we are in our truth. 
But if we stop there, there's sort of a sense of stuckness, right? And probably many of you who are watching have been involved in um, wellness communities where that's kind of like where it stops, right? And I'd like to talk today about the next steps, which um, the words that I like to use are virtue or integrity, right? So it's, um, there's the what happens to us, right? The truth. And then there's how we respond, hopefully not in a reactive way. <laughs> and between those two places is where we get to insert our virtue and integrity. And I love the definition of virtue that Jack Cornfield gives. He writes that virtue is integrity, truthfulness, passion, and purpose in all we do. Right? So you can sense there truthfulness, integrity, passion, and purpose in all we do. You can sense there that feeling of like engagement with life, right? It's not a bowing out and going to the cave. It's being involved and active and engaged in our lives, right? And I love the word integrity also because it comes from um, the root integer, which means to be made whole, right? So when we are in our integrity, we are whole, Um, and this, this conscience, this capacity to be conscious of what we are doing and how we are doing it and how we are living our lives and moving in the world in a way that is, um, full of integrity and full of our wholeness really comes from the awakeness of an open heart, right? We can feel the difference, um, between, acting in a way that is unvirtuous rather than a way that is virtuous. And this is the part where I think that we need to like, um, why perhaps the, the yoga industrial complex doesn't go this extra step is that because it can very quickly become a game of judgment of rights and wrongs of binary thinking of shoulds and shouldn'ts. And I really, really love um, the way that the Buddhist psychology system sort of sets it up is that it's not about right or wrong, that it's not about shoulds and shouldn'ts. I would say that it's actually about honoring our intuition, right, of what it is that our gut and our body, right, and that um, capital S self is speaking for us to do, right, and that space in between what happens to us and how we respond. But in Buddhist psychology, um, they say that it's not about all of that binary thinking, right? Or rules or dogma, because that can be very triggering for some of us, myself included. I'm like, rules? No, thank you. <laughs> However, <laughs> who was I traveling? I was traveling with someone recently who was like, you don't like rules. And I was like, I mean, I do. I like discipline, but it's different because that's coming from my intuition, from my that capital S sense of self of what how I want to live. But back to the Buddhist psychology, they say that um, we, the reason one would want to live a life that is full of passion and integrity and truth and virtue is so that we can have peace, so that our heart can be at peace and we can suffer less. Isn't that fantastic? Right? It's sort of takes 
the paradigm of what's happening and flips it over. Because when we're in black and white thinking or we're in the shoulds and shouldn'ts, I don't know about you all, but that is a moment where I am not at peace. Those are moments where I feel really sort of torn apart and in judgment and feel a lack of curiosity about what's possible. My creative self is really shut down. But when the inquiry becomes about what actually, what decision, what action, what response here will bring me peace and a settledness and move me outside of like cognitive dissonance, that sort of shifts the game in the conversation, which I just love, right? And that can be something like, I think when we're talking about how to relate with this kind of material, like how do I bring integrity and virtue into my life? Start with the truth and then what's next? The inquiry can be one of, will this feel peaceful? If I respond this way, will my heart feel open and awake and peaceful? Right? And our body, here's the trick friends, our body many times will know. And so moving inward as we did in the opening meditation and sensing that feeling of um, what's the vibration of my body feel like when I imagine myself moving and engaging in this way, right? Because our bodies can't lie, our minds can lie, they lie to us all the time, right? They create coping mechanisms, um, protecting the ego, all sorts of things. It's like this creative, amazing, beautiful tool that we have, but it also can lead us astray. And our body tends not to lie if we are really listening. And that's what these practices are for. That's why I love this so much. Because again and again, it's planting the seed of being able to listen more deeply, to have a deeper understanding of what's actually here. Right? Um, there's this teaching story uh, in the Midwest outside of a mental hospital. There was a toll road. And, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever lived around toll roads, but um, I do you want to know a really funny fact about me? <laughs> Is that when I lived in New Jersey when I was young, I think I was 20, uh, I lived with a boyfriend and his parents, super classy. And I, his dad had been the builder and the inventor of the Easy Pass toll thing. <laughs> and so I worked in this little factory with a drill gun building the Easy Pass computers. <laughs> and then we would pack them up on pallets and wrap them in this tape that said fresh from New Jersey as like a joke. It was a very funny job that I had. I can't even believe I did that. Anyways, what was I going for that? Oh, toll roads. So... Uh, outside of this mental hospital, there was a toll road, and the some doctors would go by and not pay the toll, and then other doctors would go through and um, pay it, right? So there was sort of this divide like of people zooming past and trying not to pay, and those who just stopped and paid because they knew that it took care of the needs of the community, right? So one of the psychologists at this hospital decided that they were going to do a study of how the patients of the doctors who paid fared versus the patients of the doctors who didn't pay. And um, 
I think you could probably guess what happened, is that the patients of the doctors who paid had better outcomes than the patients of the doctors who didn't pay, right? And I would like to read you this line um, because I think that it is so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Where is it? It is as if we who are healers somehow communicate our integrity and it gives strength to those we work with as well. Right? So that there's a ripple effect when we are in our truth and then inserting in that space where we get to respond and be in our, like the glory of our humanness, right? With passion and with integrity um, and love ultimately, right? That that has a ripple effect. I heard Pema Children talk last year about how um, she was sitting in meditation and she'd been like on some three week or three months, some long sort of like at home self retreat and had this like distinct realization that even there alone practicing in her home, that her thoughts mattered, right? As an energy in the universe, that her actions mattered as an energy in the universe, which brings us to an important part of this is that um, when when we're learning, right, to check in and be like, what will bring me less suffering? What will bring me more peace here in my heart, in my life? That we do not differentiate between the large and the small moments. There's, There's an equanimity. It's kind of like in practice, that if we put all our energy only into the peak poses, <laughs> but never did any of the other stuff, we never would be able to even do a peak pose because we wouldn't have the skills, right? And the flexibility and the strength and the self-knowledge of how to meet the shape. And the same goes for our lives is that we practice in the small places so that when the rubber hits the road, that all of that practice, all of those seeds that we've planted will then support that big ah, moment in our lives where we really have to show up and meet the truth of what's here in those more challenging moments. Um, And even the Buddha, my loves, and this is like one of the most gorgeous things, and all of the... um, like deities that you see behind me, there's a little Buddha over there too, and a Durga, and a Lakshmi, and a Shiva, and the Kali, all um, of these examples, right, of awakened, loving presence, none of them have stories in which they are perfect, right? None of them. The story of Kali, one of um, her most famous stories, she's the one who has the skulls around the neck, is this representation of like divine, feminine, creative fierceness. Right? In order for something to grow, sometimes we have to let go of other parts of ourselves. Right? There's an alchemy that happens with Kali. And in one of her most favorite stories, she loses control right, and goes full beast mode. <laughs> and... The community then has to call her back. 
So she's out there battling sort of blindly, right? Really in the like feral energy. Um, there's nothing more human, I think, honestly, than like feral feminine energy. Um, when it goes wild, that's what like, that's how we birth life into the world. And so Kali's in that sort of place and it is out of control. And so Shiva becomes a baby and she hears the child's cry and goes and picks him up and nurses him. Right. And the Buddha caused harm, um, lived a really privileged princely lifestyle and didn't even understand that suffering existed when he was a child. Um, he made mistakes, especially regarding his, um, the women in his group, as far as not letting them become monks for a while. He caused people's death on accident. Like he had made all of these mistakes, right? But in the same way um, that Kali like was called to attention by the cry of a child, Buddha never lied about any of these things. Right? He always, he called himself to attention by having the courage to tell the truth. And that's a really, really, really big deal. There was this, um, I'm going to finish up here, in at the beginning of the school of Naropa, um, down in Boulder, Colorado, my dearest friend went there. Um, the Buddhist chaplain who I talk about all the time, my friends are telling, been telling me recently that they love it when they show up as characters in my stories on the podcast. I was like, okay, I'll see if I can work in. It's funny. Um, and at the beginning of when the Naropa Institute was founded, they had this huge ceremony and it was like all the big teachers were there. You know, Mirabai Bush, Ram Das, Jack Cornfield, like um, tons of these like kind of big name people who I consider like some of the most potent teachers of our time. And they did a ceremony where at night, I think it was a full moon or a new moon. It was a moon. There was a moon happening. And the students who were lining up for matriculation, as part of the process, they built this big fire and they had to write down everything, right? All of their like most hardest things that they don't, like the thing that you don't want to say out loud for fear that if someone finds out that you would then be outside of belonging, outside the circle of love. Right. And so the students wrote all of these things down and they took them and they read them aloud to Ram Das. And he didn't say anything. He calls it this practice stuffing it. And I just love it. I do it sometimes with my clients where it's just say the thing you're most to say to fray, say, uh, say to say the thing you're most afraid to say. And I'm just going to hold it in the space of non-judgment and love and let you experience that. I will bear witness to you only through the eyes of love. And so he did this with student after student after student, and then they threw their list in the fire and then rejoined the community, right? Having been witnessed and um, held, like their most hardest, hardest things held in the light of love, right? And I think that that is... Um, 
that's what that teaching, right, just of the Buddha's life gives us is that when we have the courage to show up and be in our truth, even with the most difficult parts of ourselves that cause us to feel fraudulent or as if we are not lovable, that that's sort of this magic moment. Um, like he had the courage to tell the truth about who he was, his flaws, and that, and still become awakened. Right? He wasn't outside of the circle of love or belonging or anything of it. It's just part of the experience of being human is that all of us have those parts that we feel kind of ugh about. Um, and then I would like to leave you with this beautiful line from Meister Eckhart. He writes, no one is forgotten. It is a lie. Any talk of God that does not bring you comfort. Right? No one is forgotten. It is a lie. Any talk of God or the divine or the universe or spirit or love or however you want to put it that does not bring you comfort. So when we're in those moments um, where we're not sure how to be, right, and we've begun with acceptance, but we also want to insert our integrity, the wisdom of our intuition, our passion, our virtue, we can check in and say, is this bringing me peace here? Will this bring me peace? And imagine it. I think it's such a radical radical practice um if we can be into nectar it's also very difficult because sometimes as i have been finding out lately it does not <laughs> make you the most popular person um and that's okay that's okay uh it's best to live in integrity uh and move from truth than it is and with passion right than it is to live someone else's dharma the bhagavad gita tells us that okay